Time to Shift is a podcast that aims to inform on energy and climate-related affairs with the intent to contribute to a low-carbon economy. My name is Laure. In this episode, we will discuss the many uses of wood and which ones are the most beneficial for the climate. The need to phase out fossil fuels is a recurring topic in the debates on the energy transition. While each renewable energy source has its advantages and disadvantages, wood has undoubtedly one of the most complex relations with the climate. Today, we will have a look at two studies by the SHIFT project to help us better understand our impact on the climate when we use wood for different applications, especially the thorny issue of the synergies between wood, energy, and carbon neutrality. Watch out for preconceived notions and don't light your fire just yet. Ah, tell me, is there anything more relaxing than the gentle heat of a crackling fireplace while traveling through the literary adventures of Agatha Christie and a steaming cup of coffee? Long live the cold winter evenings. And on top of that, the climate is also happy. Every time you throw in another log in the fire, you replace those nasty fossil fuels in your boiler with a renewable alternative. How good is it to be green? Dip, 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 dip. Wait a second, not so fast. Sure, it's warm and cozy, check. But what about the climate? Are we sure about the positive effects of burning wood? Plants go through a process called photosynthesis, where they absorb carbon dioxide to make glucose, which is then used as energy and to make the structure of the plant itself. The carbon dioxide is not fully consumed. Rather, it is stored in the tree. When we burn wood, about half of carbon atoms that make up the dry wood escape from the fireplace and end up in the atmosphere. How do we account for them in our carbon balance? Let's get started on this truly burning topic by taking a short detour through last year's news. In February 2021, 500 scientists co-signed a letter addressed to the leaders of the United States, the European Union, Japan, and South Korea, calling for an immediate stop to any increase in forest harvesting as an alternative energy source in the pursuit of carbon neutrality. The warning issued by these 500 scientists essentially criticizes the recent trend to increase the cutting and harvesting of entire trees for energy use only. These practices release massive amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere that otherwise would have remained stored in the forest, and that is really not great for the climate. But a tree will grow back, you might say. In theory, yes. But according to the signatories, this is not enough. As each additional tree is cut and burned to produce energy, it releases all the carbon it contains, generating a so-called carbon debt. Of course, with time, this debt could eventually be repaid by the next generation of trees that capture the CO2 from the atmosphere and thereby restore the carbon balance. But a tree is not a veggie startup. It needs time to grow. In fact, it takes several decades for a new seedling, which is only a few centimeters tall when it's first put into the soil, to reach the size of a full-grown tree. In the meantime, a lot of additional carbon will have entered the atmosphere. This will have an amplifying effect on global warming, adding to the immediate threat of more forest fires, sea level rise, and periods of extreme heat, and so on. Sadly, as the scientists conclude, the regrowth of trees take a lot of time, a luxury that the world does not anymore have to successfully address climate change. But that is not all. 
The letter also points out that the carbon footprint of burning wood is worse than the one of coal, oil, or natural gas. There are two main reasons for this. The first one is that burning wood is carbon inefficient, meaning that we need much more input material to generate the same amount of energy output as with fossil fuels. The second one is related to the harvesting and processing of wood. Cutting down the forest doesn't only mean that we eliminate a carbon sink. It also produces a lot of material losses. These material losses are left to decompose without any use, and thus also without replacing any fossil energy in the end. In fact, the authors estimate that for each kilowatt hour of heat or electricity produced, using wood would add two to three times more carbon to the atmosphere in the short term than the good old fossil fuels. In this context, it is also worth mentioning the major risk for over-exploitation. If the world supplied just an additional 2% of its energy from wood, it would need to double its commercial wood harvests. In Europe, there is robust evidence that increased wood energy has already led to significant increase in logging. Lastly, as the finishing touch to this already carbon black image, the authors tackle the highly problematic and unfortunately still frequent practice of government subsidies for burning wood. Such subsidies, found everywhere from Europe to Japan, have a double burden effect on the climate as, on the one side, they directly incentivize a false climate solution that only amplifies the greenhouse gas effect in the short term, while, on the other side, we end up consuming public resources that could have been used to support technological solutions that truly decrease global warming, such as for wind or solar energy. It is therefore hardly surprising that the letter concludes with a clear call to stop all subsidies and other incentives to burn wood for energy, directing sharp criticism towards the European Union to stop considering the burning of woody biomass as carbon neutral in its renewable energy standards and emissions trading scheme. Taking a step back to regain a full view of the picture, it becomes clear that no sustainable forest management standard can fully address the problem at hand when it comes to burning wood. While the sustainable management of forests can allow you to pay back the carbon debt on your spreadsheets, it unfortunately cannot change the fact that there will be decades or even centuries of increased, more intense global warming caused by higher carbon concentrations in the atmosphere. In a nutshell, for the 500 signatories and, as far as the climate is concerned, trees are more valuable alive than burnt. And, coincidentally, things have been moving quickly in the European Union. In July 2021, just a few months after the publication of the letter of warning and culminating with the ravaging forest fires in North America, the European Commission unveiled its new forest strategy for 2030. It sets an ambitious vision to improve the quantity and quality of EU forests, for example, by strengthening the forest management practices that preserve and restore biodiversity, by tightening the sustainability conditions for using wood as bioenergy, and even by paying farmers for not harvesting certain forests with so-called carbon farming initiatives. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, not entirely. The wide-ranging proposals have stirred up a fierce political discussion among farmers and agricultural ministries throughout Europe, with the wood-producing countries being particularly quick to defend their economic territory. In a letter addressed to the President of the EU Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, 
11 EU member states sharply criticized the practice to only evaluate forests from an ecological perspective, while disregarding the fact that they play a major socio-economic role for many regions and local communities. But that's not all. In February 2022, the European Parliament widely echoed these claims by proposing to increase the use of bioenergy in Europe by weakening the sustainability criteria for biomass in the Renewable Energy Directive. One example is a suggestion to scrap the cascading principle for member states, which prioritizes the usage of wood and forest-based products depending on their environmental benefits. While this might seem like the complete opposite of what scientists are saying is good for the climate and our European forests, these developments show the diversity of economic and ecological interests at stake. It's safe to say that reconciling 27 different opinions into one political compromise will be a tough journey, and political negotiations have only just started. To be continued. Now that we have brought you up to speed on the current situation, let's move on and see what the SHIFT project has to say about all of this. In a research article entitled What Future for the European Forests in the Face of Climate Change and Carbon Neutrality?, as well as in the section on the forestry and wood sector of the French Economic Transformation Plan, the think tank The Shift Project has examined the role of forests and wood in the fight against global warming. We will start with the basics and have a look at the different uses of wood. Admittingly, wood can be used for many things, but as we will discover later on, it is good to keep in mind that not all of its uses are equal in the fight against climate change. Also, please note that we are only going to talk about the uses of wood that are directly linked to human societies and their productive needs. In other words, we will not be talking about biodiversity or relaxing walks under lush forest canopies. We can divide the use of wood into three main categories. The first one is wood that is processed in sawmills and turned into boards and beams. This beautiful and handy material is mainly used in construction, such as for beautiful hardwood floors, Swedish furniture, industrial pallets, or packaging. This type of wood is usually referred to as timber. The second category is characterized by a much more extensive and complex production process. It often starts by grinding the wooden material into tiny pieces, after which it is refined several times before it is finally glued together into a composite material, such as fiber, particle boards, or even the paper pulp that is used for your birth certificates or toilet paper. These uses can be summarized under industrial wood. The third and final category is the use of wood as fuel for energy production, mostly for heat, but in recent years, also for electricity. Timber, industrial wood, and energy production. These are the uses of wood. Now, what about the climate? To understand the impacts, we must start by analyzing the role of forests and trees in the carbon cycle. There are two major mechanisms that link forests and wood to greenhouse gas emissions. The first one is that forests function as carbon sinks. For those of you who paid attention in school to your biology class, you will likely remember that carbon is captured from the air by our green friends and transformed into new organic matter through the biochemical process of photosynthesis. This is how all vegetal biomass accumulates and how little growth finally grows into a large forest. 
the carbon stored in the stem, branches and roots of a tree is only released back into the atmosphere when the tree dies and slowly starts to decompose with the help of microbes in the soil or possibly through combustion during a wildfire. In any case, sooner or later, the carbon ends back into the air. If we consider these inputs and outputs of carbon throughout the lifetime of a tree, we can see that a young and growing forest captures more carbon from the atmosphere than it emits. But after a few centuries, once a forest reaches maturity, a balance is established and it reaches carbon neutrality. Or, in the words of the technical experts, this is when the carbon sink is saturated. In 2015, European forests were growing in both volume and area, absorbing about 10% of the annual greenhouse gas emissions emitted by Europeans. On top of that, there exists yet another way to artificially increase and prolong the capacity of the carbon sink, namely by using long-lasting wood products. The idea is pretty simple. Think of the hundreds of oak beams supporting the massive roof construction of Notre-Dame de Paris. Beyond housing Quasimodo, they have stored hundreds of tons of carbon for over 800 years. True servants of humanity, these oaks. The second mechanism is substitution. This consists of comparing the carbon footprint of wood with other products, ultimately aiming at using wood where it replaces either a material or an energy source with a higher carbon footprint, and when the object in question has a long lifetime. Again, think about the giant oak beams of Notre-Dame de Paris. This is what makes the construction of houses and buildings the ideal use of wood, since it can replace concrete and steel for a fairly long time, which both emit a lot of CO2 emissions during their production. But watch out, the devil is in the detail. This beneficial effect entirely depends on the carbon footprint of the replaced materials. This is not a constant value and cannot be taken for granted, as it can change with technological improvements and progress over time. In other words, the day steel production is decarbonized, the positive material substitution effect from wood will disappear. Moving on to energy substitution, this alternative becomes relevant when wood replaces fossil fuels such as coal, oil or gas for energy production, so to generate heat or electricity. The carbon in the wood itself, captured from the atmosphere during the lifetime of the tree, is released during combustion in the furnace, then replaces the fossil carbon stored in organic matters during millions and millions of years in the geosphere. And remember, as we already heard in the introduction, whether or not burning woody biomass can be deemed good for the climate depends entirely on the time frame that we use for calculating the net carbon emissions from the process. Now that we clarify the interlinking mechanisms between wood and carbon emissions, we can finally move on to answering the core question of which uses of wood we should prioritize in our fight against global warming. Let's end the suspense right away and elaborate on the recommendations by the authors of the SHIFT studies. In order to minimize the negative impact of forestry on the climate, the use of timber for material substitution should be prioritized to reasonable proportions. Other applications have at best a neutral, if not harmful, effect on the climate. There are three reasons for this. First, the use of wood in construction addresses the two mechanisms for reducing emissions in the sustainable way, namely the carbon sink and substitution. Think about it. 
wooden products that are designed for long-term durable application, such as for a house, are the only ones that can significantly extend the lifetime of the carbon sink of living trees into an artificial sink of dead trees. Also, in terms of substitution, these products effectively replace materials, such as concrete or steel, which, at least for the time being, are produced with a lot of fossil fuels and generate a lot of emissions. The second argument is that the use of timber automatically results in material waste, such as scraps and other byproducts that can find a second life as industrial wood or for energy production. This way of maximizing the economic and environmental added value of wood products through a hierarchy of use is known as a cascading principle and is undoubtedly also the most beneficial for the climate. On the contrary, if trees are directly used for industrial or energy production, there are no leftovers for secondary uses, thus making it less efficient and desirable from an environmental perspective. Finally, as the SHIFT project also focuses on managing socio-economic aspects of the low-carbon transition, the authors point out that the economic added value and jobs associated with timber production are significantly higher than those of other uses. This is an additional advantage that can help justify why timber should be given absolute priority. For these three reasons, the interim report of the SHIFT project's plan for transforming the French economy calls for a 140% increase in the use of wood products in construction and renovation by 2050. So why exactly 140%? According to the SHIFT project, this presents an upper limit that should not be exceeded. For this, there are two main reasons. The first explanation is, of course, that French forests have a physical limit to their size and productivity. If logging exceeds this limit, it would, with time, lead to the cutting of more and more trees at an even younger age. This would ultimately start reducing the natural carbon stock of the forests once logging outpaces the speed at which trees can grow back. Or simply put, this describes the process of deforestation. The second explanation corresponds to the limits of the wood and timber industry itself. Only sufficiently large trunks are actually processed into long-lasting products, and sowing them generates relatively large losses, such as for smaller branches or bark of the trees. Even if these byproducts are not immediately burnt for energy production, but rather used as secondary raw materials for producing industrial packaging paper and cardboard, these objects eventually end up in the incinerator as part of the general waste management. This is why an increase in logging activities, even in the theoretical case of an optimal resource use under the cascading principle, unavoidably results in higher emissions, simply because it increases the industrial use of additional byproduct materials. All right, so let's quickly recap. We have established that the timber sector is by far the most interesting if we want to maximize the benefits of using wood for the climate. Despite generating a certain inevitable volume of byproducts that cannot be used for traditional construction, these can be smartly used as a resource for industrial wood or energy production, which in turn avoids the necessity to cut down additional trees for these uses. But there is still one last point to be clarified concerning bioenergy, the substitution effect. Because, potentially, we can use wood to replace fossil fuels for energy production, right? By definition, 
We can talk about a positive substitution effect if we replace a high-emitting system with one that only produces few greenhouse gas emissions in comparison. Let's take an example. When a wood-based heating stove replaces a boiler run on oil or gas, and when it is fueled with waste materials and byproducts from the forest, where the carbon in any case would end up in the atmosphere in the short term through decomposition, it does indeed represent a gain in terms of the heating system's carbon balance. But, and there is an important but that we need to mention here, in most cases, especially in a country like France, there are other decarbonized heating options available. Just think of the electric heat pump that can be powered by carbon-free electricity generated by wind, solar, or nuclear energy. To understand the mechanisms at work here, we spoke to Félix Lallemand, one of the authors of the shift studies mentioned previously. We asked him a couple of questions, starting with the following. What role can wood play in a low-carbon future? Is wood a smart and ecological way for individual households to heat their homes? Here is what he had to say. So, from my point of view, um, this question needs to be asked at the very end after having considered a bunch of other elements. First um, comes the fundamental question of how much do we need to heat? This sufficiency question should be the starting point and not only for the heating or building uh, sector. If you take the work of the shift project, it always takes care to include this aspect in his work. So in this context, the first things to do, uh, if you consider uh, housing and uh, living in your home, it's to insulate your building and reduce your eating consumption as much as possible. So every person who wants to, to go further in this direction should, should really start uh, at this point. Then if you, if you go further, uh, there are another linkage with wood. Um, if you take the, the construction uh, and the renovation processes, you can include biomaterials such as timber and straw. And this is very interesting because it is less carbon intensive than steel and concrete, for instance. And it allows us to create a long-term storage for wood, which becomes, at the end, a carbon sink. Uh, in connection with the energy aspect, we can encourage communities to organize projects for planting trees around, and this time targeting much more agricultural lands instead of forests, because there is uh, much space and much uh, land around uh, in this case. Edge of trees have many advantages for agricultural production and also provide a local source of wood for energy and consumption. So it is a two benefits associated with this. At the end of all this comes the question of how to heat your home. If you manage to set up low carbon buildings on one hand and lower expectation regarding indoor temperature on the other, it is interesting to look at local wood resource for heating. But if you have wood where you don't really know where it comes from, it can lead to an incentive to get more of it and the question of pollution or resource degradation arises. So in this case, uh, it pumps or other solutions appear to be more suitable than just wood uh, which you don't really know where it comes from. That is, however, not the only thing to pay attention to, according to Felix. He also sees a big risk in not differentiating between the different kinds of firewood we use for private heating, which, depending on whether we source it locally from sustainable sources or from large-scale forest plantations, can have a completely different environmental footprint and impact on resource depletion. So yes, uh, things are different for wood coming from forests or from wood coming from agricultural lands such as uh, edge ropes. 
the potential to increase the resource has nothing to do with the two. This is the first thing to, to have in, in mind. So we are not going to recreate large forest areas in France, just because we don't have enough, uh, enough lands for this. And forests will rather follow their own rate of growth into the abandonment of agricultural land and the increase in the stock of prison trees. But the resource will not triple tomorrow in France. Whereas, on the other hand, the resource outside the forest has a gigantic potential to develop. And the aim is to replant all the trees that were uprooted from agricultural, agricultural lands in the 20th centuries. This will generate a lot of new resources from hedgerows, which, after a few decades, will provide a very interesting source of wood for local communities. So, provided that we strictly control the origin of the wood, we can, with a good conscience, opt for a wood stove instead of a fossil-based heating system. But, in any case, the electric heat pump, provided it uses carbon-free electricity, remains the more climate-friendly choice. What about forest by-products? As they can be regarded as sustainable sources of bioenergy under certain circumstances, should we simply not encourage the use of byproducts to increase the availability of wood from sustainable sources? For example, by setting financial incentives? The problem associated with this is that it will increase the harvest. If we make a financial incentive for wood energy and related products, we'll be creating an overall incentive to, increasing, uh, to increase harvesting. So it will be a problem. Because uh, something which is a bit uh, annoying regarding this is that there is a whole bunch of food that is actually in an intermediate situation. It is not the best quality to be directly used for timber, which is the best use for a forester, but somewhere in between. So if we tip the balance towards energy or industrial wood uses, these trees will go to these sectors even though they are neither the more interesting from the point of view of uh, emission reduction, nor for the long-term use of the resource, of the wood resource. So yes, creating this kind of incentive and market risks tipping the balance in a bad direction. There is thus a delicate carbon balance to be found between logging and forest conservation, if emissions avoidance is the main objective. The SHIFT project considers that it is more prudent to consider this balance as already achieved and from now on to stabilize the rate of logging in French forests. Reaching the 140% increase in timber production can, on the one hand, be achieved thanks to the continued growth of the French forests and, on the other, by transferring resources currently dedicated to industrial wood and energy production. Lastly, When we move to a larger scale, the situation looks a bit different. If we take France as an example, cogeneration plants that produce both electricity and heat by burning biomass are projected to account for only 1% of the total national power generation capacity by 2023. Although this might sound like a small amount, these power plants can have a significant impact on forests, both in their surrounding areas and abroad, depending on where the wood is coming from. One example in France is the Garden Power Plant in the Rhône department. Uh, it's a former coal-fired power plant that aims to switch to wood and that needs several hundred thousand tons of wood per year to operate. And this wood uh, will be sources either from Mediterranean forests, which are very fragile ecosystems subject to significant pressure, or from larger areas uh, outside France. So, Here, it's a major incentive for harvesting and this cause deforestation and biodiversity issues, or even competition with timber production, because you can use the, the wood for these different purposes. 
Another reminder that we need to carefully consider how and where we use biomass as an energy source. This is also something that the letter from the 500 scientists mentioned at the beginning of this episode criticizes, in particular by referring to the damages resulting from burning woody biomass for large-scale electricity generation. Thank you, Felix. To be continued in the European forest strategy currently under negotiation. To conclude this episode, forests have an important role to play in the fight against climate change. Trees act as natural carbon sinks, which help to store carbon. Using wood as timber for material substitution should be prioritized, following the cascading principle to ensure that all resources from the harvested tree are utilized to its best potential, and obviously within reasonable proportions. Using biomass as an energy source can have a lower carbon footprint than fossil fuels, but it is important to keep a holistic view on the system as a whole, including what solutions are available, where, as well as their social, environmental, and economic benefits and limitations. To learn more about the forestry and wood sector and its contribution in fighting global warming, you can refer to the sources listed in the description of this episode. This podcast was produced by The Shifters, volunteers supporting The Shift Project. The Shift Project is a French think tank advocating the shift to a post-carbon economy. Stay tuned for more Shift. À bientôt.